Good evening and welcome to another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and we've got a lot to cover for you today. We obviously have a heated playoff race for you guys. We've got a three-team race for the AL Wild Card, and incidentally, everyone in that division is in the AL East division, and we have a very big series that could potentially be deciding that, but obviously, before we get into that, I would like to give you guys a friendly neighborhood reminder to please... Give us a follow on all of our forms of social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And, of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, at Review and Preview Sports. And my guest for today, I got none other than Alec Walt. And fitting that I would have you to discuss the Yankees-Red Sox series. Alec, how's it going? I'm doing well, man. I'm looking forward to this series. Of course, we have a game tonight against the Mets to get ready for you guys. But uh, Red Sox-Yankees, you can't get better than that, man. It's going to be a hell of a series this weekend. And we got a comment starting off the show today. Tom Scavetta goes another week, another Met disappointment. Tom, my condolences. Sorry for your Met season. Better luck next year. I mean, they looked it looked for a while like they were making a late playoff push, but we know after that Yankee series that proved for them to be fool's gold. It was not to be. They got swept by the Cardinals. They lost two out of three to the Philadelphia Phillies. They actually they kind of lucked out in the third game. They had a comeback with Jeff McNeil hitting the home run, but then. They went back to their losing ways. They had a pretty big loss to the Red Sox. Unfortunately for us, they did not help the Yankees. But, you know, it is what it is. Another lost Mets season, but we'll see. Hopefully, Steve Cohen has them step in the right direction. Just a lot of things went wrong for that team this year. Yeah, hopefully they can find a uh, improved manager. I'm not a huge fan of the man behind the bench there in New York. So, yeah, they got a lot of problems this year. They were a team that had very high expectations. Doesn't look like they're going to the postseason. So, uh, Steve Cohen's got a lot of decisions to make this offseason. I think the first one he needs to decide, though, is who's going to manage the team. And I'm telling you this right now, it will not be Luis Rojas. I completely agree with that. I mean, when you look at the Met team, like, I know that we didn't really think before the season they were going to win the division. Now, granted, they had a lot of high expectations going into the season. But, like, with that being said, I did not expect a slide that badly in the second half. But then again, for that to happen, I think it just goes to show you how much bad luck they really had. I mean, once Jacob deGrom had that serious injury, you just knew they were were in for a disastrous second half. Like, that was the spot that broke the camel's back. I mean, that was the guy they needed to carry them through this division. I mean, when you're going against teams like the Braves and the Phillies, yes, and at times those two haven't looked like, you know, perfect teams. Those two have definitely showed their flaws. And right now Atlanta's showing theirs because Philly might actually take over and win this division if they don't find a way. I mean, they're, they're not playing their best baseball against the Orioles. 
But um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is when I'm just blown away at the fact that this team, I thought they were going to come in second in the division last year. What did you, you said that you didn't have them coming in first. I, I had them either in second and third. I thought Washington was going to be a factor, but then we saw how that turned out. Yeah. I just had a feeling when Lindor didn't get off to a hot start, when we started to see these injuries pop up with Jacob deGrom, you just kind of knew the Mets had it in them where they were just like one or two things away from falling apart. And I don't think the Javier Baez thing helped them out with the thumbs down. I think having friction between the players and the fans is not helping, especially when you need your fans up to show up on a nightly basis and have a nuts crowd in, in times like this. But at the end of the day, when you lose your starter, when you lose your guy who, if you ever are in a situation where you hit a losing streak, can end that every single five games, it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw guys like Marcus Stroman. Reality set him with him towards the end of the season. He didn't have a great start yesterday against the Boston Red Sox. Taiwan Walker had an all-star level type season. It seemed like the second Jacob deGrom went down, he all of a sudden wasn't able, didn't know how to pitch. It's yep. just, it's it's unbelievable that, that all this has happened. I think the Lindor is learning now that New York is not Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you cannot get away with certain things that you were able to get away with over there. He has to be the face of this team. Um, so it hasn't been a great first year for him. And the Mets got a lot of work to do because they came into this season looking like they were going to be potential contenders. And they're not going to be seeing much baseball here in October. So let me read this comment by Tom Suvetta. What's it take to convince Mets fans that Lindor sucks? Do we need to apologize to him for a three home? <laughs> I mean... I don't know, man. I think I think it, I totally get your frustration. I mean, you're paying the guy over three hundred million dollars. I a yeah. lot of fans have every right to like to blame Lindor for like whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was gonna mention this too. I think losing Lindor for like the beginning part of the second half was kind of a killer too. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna try to like defend his hitting, like or at least for most of the season, besides the three home run game that I saw on Sunday. But with that having been said, shortstop is still one of the most important positions in baseball. And lost in this is that we forget how good of a fielder he was before that. So I think that low key had something to do with the Mets struggle. I mean, if you look at their record for like the first few weeks of like late July and August, that it just goes to show you that was a bigger loss than people realize. And will he redeem himself next year? I mean, if you're a Met fan, you like to think so. But again, who really knows? Yeah, I mean, he was getting hot before he went down, too. That was the thing. is As, as he was starting, mm-hmm. right before he went out for a couple of weeks, we were starting to see, all right, are we looking at the same Francisco Lindor? Now, we see this all the time in Major League Baseball when players, you know, whether they're all-stars, role players, no matter what, when they go from one division, one league to another, there's always some rocky starts. And, of course, that's what happened here with Francisco Lindor. Here, at the end of the day, he is one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball. He is a superstar. He is someone who went from a Cleveland where he did the media market wasn't there. Well, the pressure wasn't there. The media wasn't there. He goes to New York. You know, I bet you that was the first time he ever experienced being booed going to the plate. You know, he was looked at as a god in the city of Cleveland. You know, fans of that team were devastated. When they found out the news that their franchise player was going to a different team, you know, how you speak to the media, how you act on the field, 
your body language, how you communicate with the fans. All of that is completely different when we're talking about the city of New York. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Look at the hat on your head. You know, I know we're talking about the Mets right now, <laughs> but it's the city of New York. No, and when you make that much players. money, when you talk the way you talk, when you struggle, when you respond the way you respond to when people are being critical of you not playing well to the contract that you signed, you're not going to be looked at as a god like you did in Cleveland. I think he learned that the hard way here, year one in New York. Yeah, listen, the Yankees have had many players who unfortunately have learned that the hard way too. I mean, you, we met, we brought up Javier Baez doing the two thumbs down thing. Most Yankee fans probably don't remember. Jack McDowell was a trade deadline. Or no, he wasn't a trade deadline acquisition. He was a big free agent they signed in 1995. He's supposed to be one of the aces. He has an absolute meltdown against the, incidentally, his former team, the Chicago White Sox. Mm-hmm. He gets booed off the mound at Yankee Stadium. He flips the bird at the fans. Okay, can't be doing that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, what, what hurts are interrupted. What hurts for the Mets here, yeah, is Javier Baez is literally best friends, uh-huh. best friends with the face of your team. He has no connection with the Mets as he was brought in at the deadline. There's no guarantee on his contract after this season. And the guy you paid $341 million to got involved with something that someone who wasn't even a part of this team beforehand convinced him to contribute to. I think it's a terrible look for him. So if you're yeah. the Mets, and we'll get to his comment in one second, Tom, do, do you even consider bringing him back? Because you have to balance, you know, he's not liked by the fans right now. But the guy we paid $341 million to was an advocate to you bringing him in and his friends with him already. Do you make the star happy? What would you do if you were the Mets? I'd focus on the team if I were them. I wouldn't pay him. I No, I, I'd just tell him no to way. kick rocks. I'd tell him to kick rocks, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if it pisses Lindor off, I would be like, no way. Like, I mean, look. I have a, this is going to be considered a hot take, but even before Lindor signed that contract, as much as I love Lindor, even before when he was with Cleveland, I could have told you that the Mets were overpaying the guy. Like if you're going to pay 300 million for a shortstop, I want that shortstop to be hitting in the three hundreds. Like, yeah. Like striking out a lot. You know, that contract isn't going to get better, even though like, I'm sure he'll probably have his moments where he performs. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, you know, overpaying for him was the correct decision. Because it really wasn't. And I want to get to Tom's comment now, if I may. He says, Walt brings up a good point about Walker. A lot of his outs in the first half of the season were hard-hit fly balls, often bailed out by Mets defense. Seems like hitters have figured him out, so I think the ERA definitely inflated in the first half. Yeah, I agree. That's that's a really mm-hmm. good point. Something yeah. I've been noticing, too. And, you know, it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought that was a solid signing, like, before the season, but... At the same time, unfortunately, if you're a major league pitcher or, or you're made major league hitter, they're going to adjust. And, you know, yeah. and if you watch them in the second half, it really showed. And that was now, a typical um, low risk, high reward signing. I yeah. mean, of course, you know, it's 162 games. Baseball is more analytical than ever. Someone's going to find mm-hmm. a way to get through you. So, I mean, he, he's been great this year. I think he's massively played above his contract, and he does have the year of control going into next year. So if Jacob deGrom can stay healthy, I think is Stroman a free agent 
think he is. I believe he is. Either way, they, they're going to have DeGrom. They, they should still have some solid pieces back in this rotation. But, you know, it's just it's crazy to think that, you know, this team had all this hype going into the year. And, I mean, they did have a little bit of that bust potential in them. They're New York. They're the right. Mets. They've, they've made big splashes before that, of course, haven't panned out. Steve Cohen, someone who's very vocal specifically at the start of the season, make the huge trade in your first off season, spend a bunch of money in free agency. You know, they had that incident where they all cheered, you know, they did their, their mock world series celebration at training camp. And it's like, okay, the regular season hasn't even started yet. So, you know, they, they've been, they've been out there this year. The Mets have been like, look at us, look at us. And now we're looking at them and they're not a playoff team. And it's, made a lot of their fans really upset so steve cohen i hope you can figure it out because you know it seems like whenever we really hype up this new york mets team we're looking back being like what what were we thinking why why do we do this all the time why why do we keep doing this with the new york mets you know i think in one of my later episodes i don't know if you remember the show on espn it was called top five reasons you can't blame they would go over a historic moment and then give you five reasons why like you can't blame so so and so for somebody losing a big game like for example they used bill buckner as in can't blame him for the red sox losing the 86 world series for me if in a future episode i would probably do my own version of that for steve cohen because at the same time i'm also willing to play devil's advocate and say this season for the mets really wasn't entirely his fault because there were certain things that were in and out of his control and also Let's not forget, this is his first year owning the team. I mean, you look at when Nelson Doubleday and Fred Wilpon bought the Mets in 1980. If you watch, I don't know if you watched the 86 Mets soccer documentary, by the way, that was really good. But even they bought that team, they were like down in the dumps. They were like essentially the Cleveland Browns of baseball, if you really think about it. They just traded their franchise pitcher in Tom Seaver. It took a solid five or six year rebuilding plan for them to really become a powerful contender in the national league. And there's a reason why before the season, Steve Cohen said, expect us to be world series contenders between three to five years. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to, they're definitely going to need to, because when you pay someone like Francisco Lindor 10 years, you know, yes, the end of that contract is going to be pretty brutal when he's 36, 37 years old, but you're paying really for that five or so year window when he's 27, 28, 29, 30, 31 around those years, can you get the best version of Francisco Lindor during this contract? Now, clearly in year one, you didn't get that. But when you look at the Mets team right now, you want to make sure you're contending in that window. And if they can stay healthy, they do have the pieces. They have the ace in Jacob DeGrom. Unfortunately, he was out for the season. They have all these solid bats that can fit well in a lineup. Just unfortunately, not all of them could gel at the same time. The Mets have struggled really offensively this year. And if you were to tell me this year, at the beginning of the season, that'd be one of their weaknesses at points. I tell you, you're nuts. When you got guys like Lindor, McNeil, Pete Alonzo, uh, Dom Smith, who didn't really have a position, but you knew in some way, shape or form, he was going to get some at bats. Uh, I think I mentioned before, they had guys who could do it. You knew they were going to make a move at the deadline based on the direction they were going in the off season. So, They still have some pieces. I do think they need to massively upgrade at manager. I do think they could use someone that could provide a little more discipline. Um, Basically, if you were to, if you were to think that giving thumbs down to the fan was acceptable, you would be terrified to even consider doing it based on who's in the dugout. 
And that's what I think the Mets need to focus on with, with, with who their new manager is. Luis Rojas, he was someone who was very inexperienced. I'm sure he's a very good guy. I've heard some very positive things about him as a person. But at the end of the day, we're talking about someone who he has to be the voice almost for Steve Cohen. Cohen's very loud. He's someone who has to speak to the New York media on a daily basis. He has no managing experience. And to put him out on the job in year one of Steve Cohen in this market, I think is extremely unfair for him. And look at it now. You know, the Mets are likely packing their bags and and not seeing October baseball. So, I mean, I think they do have the pieces to be competitive. They can bring back Marcus Stroman. They have some depth in the rotation. Um, They do have some depth in the bullpen. I know at times they've been inconsistent. But, again, the pieces are there. They're just not playing as a team. And I think that starts with the guy on the bench who's on his way out the door. But if they can bring in like a – I mean, this guy isn't exactly like a disciplinarian, but could you imagine yeah. Lulo? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Lulo did a good job at the Red Sox, I remember, when he uh, filled in for like Farrell. What, what reason would he have? I mean, if I'm the Diamondbacks, I'm happy he's my manager because I yeah, think no. he's a good manager. Yeah, I, I agree. He doesn't have a – like, when, when's their window to be relevant? Are you really oh, going to no. keep Lulo in there for the next five years as you try and reconstruct this farm system? Oh, no. Ownership set that team up to fail. Exactly. That's why if he becomes a potential free agent as a manager, I think he'd be a very good option. I don't really think going the White Sox route is smart. No. Um, I think they went a little extreme to one side. I mean, I don't think Tony LaRusso is like I, – I do think he's he's under quietly done a decent job. I don't think he's getting this team getting hot at the right time, but I don't think he's done a terrible job this year as manager. But I don't think the, the Mets go no. after like an old school Buck Showalter. No, Buck. Uh, like like that type of guy. I would love this, but I would love for them to go after someone who doesn't let them get away with certain things like they've been getting away with. Like that, that type of stuff just can't happen. They need to play clean baseball, smart baseball, and they need to just have their pitching in better spots. And it, Rojas just doesn't have it. But if they can find a way to get someone like Lavulo. I think that'd be amazing. Um, For sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see which managers possibly get fired over the next couple weeks because I don't exactly know what the full list of manager potential candidates are. Uh, But someone who I do have at the top of my list for the New York Mets is find a way to get on the phone with Tori. Oh, even if that's your worst case scenario. I mean, that's not even a worst case scenario. I don't want to put those words next to him because he's a great manager. Find a way to at least talk to him because if he could get away hold of this team, I think you'd see a massive difference in the way they play baseball. He always had his team performing, other than this year, performing better yeah. than you thought they would. Again, look up the 2015 Red Sox in the second half when John Farrell got sick. That's, That's another why yeah. he got the job in Arizona. Exactly. And another thing I wanted to add on to your point about Luis Ross, I mean, let's also not forget he got he got hired to manage the Mets under really really horrible circumstances and that was Carlos Beltran and the whole Astros scandal and and that's why you almost so, had to give him another shot essentially he was that, hired but to it be was just simply not the right move when you yeah. go through that much of a change you know you bring in a new owner or a new owner buys the team he brings in you know some of his staff but you keep it just I felt like if Cohen was going to take it over, just completely flip everything. Yeah. But he kept the manager, and now he won't be back next year. So anyways, moving on. I think we got a big series coming up this weekend. Yeah. To talk oh, about. We did and a I lot of Mets talk. Whew. This is one that will obviously hit home for both you and me. Yankees versus Red Sox, three-game series at Fenway Park. I will actually be traveling up to Boston for the series. I'm super excited. Nice running into some family that weekend. It'll be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. But 
obviously I'm really nervous about the Yankees chances. I mean, let's talk about the Yankees for a bit. They're coming off a weekend where they lost two out of three to the Indians. And before that series happened, they were on the verge of sweeping the Orioles. They're one strike away from getting that sweep. But unfortunately, Gary Sanchez allows a pass ball. Stop me if you've heard that before. Orioles tie the game. Then they win in an extra innings. Orioles ended up winning eight games against the Yankees. That's literally 16% of their entire win total this year. Like, yeah. if if the Yankees, God forbid, do not make the playoffs, I'm not just going to look at their current record against the AL East opponents, which, by the way, is 19-29. and 29. Not good. I'm going to look at their record against the Orioles, and if you turn all those eight wins against the Orioles around, we would be talking about fighting for Tampa for the division and, and like, having that last series of the year be meaningful against them in the Bronx. But I mean, how many times have you heard, you know, the standings will be determined based on how they play against the, like, for example, you know, the NL East this year will be determined on how everyone plays against the Marlins. The NL West will be determined by how everyone plays. Well, everyone thought the Rockies would be worse than Diamondbacks. Terrible. But how you play against the Pirates in the other division, the Rangers in the like how you do against those teams and you know you look at the AL East it's how you play against the Orioles now obviously your record against them is pretty terrible the Red Sox started the year swept by the Orioles um, oh, I know right. they ended up not not losing as many games after the fact but yeah look at the Yankees they're fourth and, and we're by the way contrast look at the Rays exactly. with the Rays switch the eight to the other to the win column. 18 and one against the Orioles. Yeah. And they're sitting in first place and they're likely going to be waiting for one of the other teams in their division after they get through that one game playoff. And, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to the Rays. They do a really good job beating the teams they need to beat. But, you know, when you look at this schedule right now for the Yankees, the, the MLB or major league baseball gave you guys an unbelievably soft schedule here in September. They did. Angels, Orioles, Jays is tough. Mets, one game against the Twins. Orioles, Indians, Rangers. And you guys are getting cold now? That, no, I I completely agree with that. Like, and let me repeat, repeat something that I said on my last episode. I said before the first game against Minnesota, and this was after the Subway Series had ended, I said the Yankees need to win nine of their next ten games. They've won – they've lost three games in that stretch, in the stretch where I said they could only, like, lose one game. Mm-hmm. That's not great. And granted, I know the Angels are a team that the Yankees have inst- have historically struggled with, but we're talking about a team that doesn't even have Mike Trout in their lineup. And the only – guy you can legitimately fear in that lineup is sh- freaking Shohei Otani. And then you go out, you have that series against the Orioles, you lose two out of three, the Andrew Heaney bomb in, in the third game being the really big dagger. And then you also have two games against the Indians where you don't just lose, you get annihilated. Like, even Garrett Cole has his worst start in the Sunday game. Like, that did not leave me feeling with with too good of a taste in my mouth. And not to mention the Saturday game, you had that I think it was the fourth or fifth inning. They were up. Indians were up one, nothing. They went on to score seven runs and the middle of that rally guy hits a pop-up. Gary Sanchez is like a few feet away from it. Doesn't catch it. You cannot tell me with any serious tone in your face 
that Gary Sanchez should still be our starting catcher. Like, I'm sorry. Remember, I used to defend this guy like a couple of years ago. I used to say, okay, we know he can hit the tar out of the ball. We know, we know he may not be the best defending them, but at least he can hit the tar and at least the, his deficiencies can be like fixed in years. Five years later, I'm still waiting for those deficiencies to be fixed behind the plate. Yeah. I think the Yankees are going to go through a lot of changes this offseason, specifically if they don't even make it to a wild card game, which is looking uh, quite likely here in the American League. I think one of the first changes they make is with Gary Sanchez. I think the Gary Sanchez experience in New York is over. And I know I know, I did say if they make the playoffs, I, I don't care if the Yankees, whatever they do, I think Gary Sanchez is done. Oh, agree. And the reason I say that is because, you know, even though there's going to be a lot of moves made in New York, one guy who's staying is Garrett Cole. You want to know who he doesn't like throwing the pit, throwing pitching to? Sanchez. Cole. Like, yep. it, it just – and it seems like more and more pitchers here in New York aren't pitching well with him behind the plate. His defense, clearly towards the end of the season, when you need to be playing your sharpest, doesn't look great. I mean, yes, they're kind of setting themselves up when he goes to a different situation, way less pressure. You know, we'll see wh- whatever happens. I could see Gary Sanchez going to a new team and being completely fine. Yeah. Could you imagine, even though I don't love the fit, but from an offensive lineup perspective, they're going to have to call the game from the dugout. But could you imagine if he ended up on a team like the Brewers? Oh, my gosh. In that ballpark, you know, oh, yes, not the yeah. best defensive catcher, and they have done a very good job. Go, you can find a defensive specialist, but could you imagine his fit in that lineup in a league that doesn't have a DH? They desperately need a bat like his, and I could see him going to that situation and thriving. Look at Adamas. Look at uh, what's his name, Rowdy. Telez. You know, we've seen other guys come to the Brewers and they fit in so well. You know, I could totally see him going to a different team being completely fine. But I think one of many moves the Yankees make this offseason, and I do think Judge's name will be mentioned. Some of these starting pitchers' names will be mentioned because they just can't seem to stay healthy consistently on a yearly basis. But I think Yankees fans, I think his time is very, very soon coming to an end in the city of New York. Absolutely. And I think another other positions where they got to really look into shortstop for sure, because we've pretty much I've I've been screaming multiple times on the show, like how many more botched ground balls do I need to see before I realize before we all realize Glaber Torres really shouldn't be playing there and that he should have been second base all along. I mean, that's okay. not I mean. Are, are you surprised by that? No, I'm not. But I'm just saying he should have never played shortstop to begin with. I mean, yes, I understand you guys did have to deal with, you know, positional crunches. You know, you have a DJ LeMay who, yeah. yes, who can play the first base and second base. You have Luke Voigt, Anthony Rizzo. You know, that that side of the infield is crowded. You could definitely benefit from moving him to a different position. But he's never looked comfortable in that spot. And that's why I'm surprised the Yankees haven't gone after. Like, yes, you have uh, Urshela's played some short, even though I think he's better at third base. You know, going after like an Iglesias, just like a defensive, you know, replacement just for now. But yeah, I, I thought going into the season with the shortstop depth that you guys had was a little nuts. But I, I, yeah. I, I know it's a little early to be making predictions. But I think you guys are a one hundred thousand percent signing one of these 
star shortstops this offseason. In theory, like if I found out Seager was a Yankee tomorrow, I'd be like, duh. I would too, but in theory, there is one problem with that thinking. And I'm not saying you're wrong about signing a shortstop. I, I do think it would help because, as I said when we were talking about Lindor, I think shortstop is an important position. But let's not forget about a right fielder who wears the number 99 and very well might be considered our captain. He's going to be a free agent after 2023. You're already stuck with Stanton and Cole. And then let's say you you pay the bank to like a Corey Seager or a, or a Carlos Correa this offseason. How are you going to pay Judge? That's, that's going to be the ultimate question. I mean – I feel like that question's kind of gone up a lot with New York fans because I feel like every week it's kind of like, yeah, well, let's give Judge millions. And others is like, no, we shouldn't pay Judge. I mean, if you're the Yankees, would you consider like a potential blow up of the roster? I mean, listen, there's a reason that people were even debating that like halfway into the end of the season. Like they were 41 and 41. I believe that's what the record was at the at the time of the 4th of July. In like, fact, I think I think Aaron Judge should be a Yankee forever. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to get 300 million dollars from the New no. York Yankees. But you know, if you were to ask me like 4 years ago who I thought was the core, you know, I would have mentioned guys like Torres maybe not four years ago but you know Sanchez those guys aren't really guys I'm considering them paying Severino yeah Voight um I mean you're stuck with your center fielder Gallo's not under I think you guys could absolutely get away with paying both of them I really think you can I mean it leaves your starting pitching depth pretty weak because Tyone and Kluber and I don't I don't think you guys are gonna give like Severino's finally coming back um, you're eventually going to move on from a role to Chapman, Zach Britton. Um, the Yankees could find a way to make things work. But um, I do think going after something. But if I'm the Yankees, though, in my priorities this offseason, I think Judge is, I think Judge has to stay in New York. Yeah. I know the question's gone up a bunch. I think he has to stay. I think the Yankees might get stuck overpaying him more than they, than they might be willing to want to. I do think there might be an injury or two in there. He's just way too big. But Aaron Judge has to stay in New York. Two, sign one of these shortstops. Three, you know, other than DJ, there's not really many other guys on this team I really too would be too disappointed with if they moved on from. Like Andujar, like um, Voight. Would you, be dis- would you be disappointed if you found out tomorrow the Yankees traded Luke Voight? Oh, heck no. I've been I've been advocating for the Gio, Yankees Gio for a while. Oh, there's again, a lot of no. pieces on this team who I think you're going to see a completely different roster coming up very soon. And and they should, because this is a lineup that's built like that's built for all or nothing. And I've been screaming all year why it does not work. Yeah, it's crazy, man. You guys like I did think you guys had a legitimate chance because I was kind of questioning Toronto. But after this past, you know, little rise here, they they look like they've been pretty solid. But oh, no, Toronto classic. Is it for you guys to just I mean. You, it's looking like the Yankees are very likely going to be the first team to not even get a taste of the post, postseason baseball this year. Oh no, Toronto's scared me all year. Yeah, I don't they care. Need to the Red Sox too. I mean, even the I Red don't Sox care what their series. pitching situation looked like up until all I, all I knew is, and I said this on your show. Remember, 
All I knew was as long as they found a way to improve their starting rotation, which they did, all it would take was a hot streak. Cause look at those bats in that lineup. Yeah. And you knew they were going to be a, a threat regardless. Well, you talk about, I mean, Robbie Ray has been a stud. Yes. They have Ryu who has playoff experience. I know he's on the IL. Barrios. I don't think the twins ever won a series when he was there. But I've been watching a little bit of Robbie Ray lately. Yes, he's likely going to be a Cy Young candidate in the American League. But he's been getting hit his last... Like, I, I saw him get hit the last couple of stars. I, I don't... I, if I go into a series against the Toronto Blue Jays and I'm going up against Robbie Ray, yes, I, I know his season's been great. But if I have Eobaldi or Sale on the other side, I'm very confident the Red Sox winning that baseball game. Mm-hmm. I really am. Yeah, no, I don't The blame only me. one I was afraid of was Cole. And it looks like you guys aren't even going to be there. And, again, I don't even know if we're going to... If we struggled, like I said, if we struggled against the Indians and the Orioles... And, by the way, can I tell you what our, rec- our stretch at Yankee Stadium was before game one of the Texas series? We lost eight of our last 10 home games prior to the first game of Texas. It's pretty bad. Let that sink in for a moment. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to be like Mr. Oh, Yankee fan who's pessimistic. No, I'm I'm being honest. Like, I am not too confident about their chances going into the playoffs. And even if by some miracle we do some find a way into that wild card and let's say Toronto collapses, like, which I do not expect to happen. Then you got to got the wild card game and look at the bullpen. Now, granted the bullpens improved. We, we do, we could ha- potentially get wise back later in the season, but I doubt that we could potentially be using Louis Severino and Michael King in the pen. I mean, it is getting a little bit healthier, but then, when I have to see Chad Green giving up meatballs left and right, I'm pretty sure he's giving up 15 home runs this year for the Yankees. Not great. And when I have to see your oldest Chapman on the mound, sweating bullets like crazy after walking the first guy, don't try to tell me I should be confident in my team's chances. And yeah, then he, he is stressful <laughs> to watch. And then even if we get past that wildcard round, you still have to deal with the Rays in the division series mm-hmm. and Lord knows our record against the Rays. It's not a good road for anyone. It's not. I'm looking at it as a Red Sox fan. Like, oh, sweet. You know, I got, we got Toronto or New York in a location still to be determined to win and play the Rays, a team I'm not too confident in playing either. So whether we make it or you make it, I'm not sitting here like, bring on the Rays. It's like, oh, no. We have to deal with the Rays. But oh well, I mean that's playoff baseball. If you want to win, if you want to win the title, you got to play the best teams in the league. To and be the best, you've got you a be lot the best. of chances. You've had a lot of chances to do this Rays team this year. Um, I know they've gotten them at best the Red Sox, but hopefully you can use some of that and it's your advantage. But I'm worried about that one game playoff. I'm not even worried about the Rays right now. If you think about the Rays, you're not going to get to the Rays. So now, obviously, we got to talk about your Boston Red Sox oh, yeah. now. Right now, as we speak, they're playing right now. They're up two nothing after the first inning against the New York Metropolitans. Seems well, to me that those um, seems seems to me that those hideous city connectors are working for you. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw them, I thought they were terrible. 
When I yeah. started seeing the players wear it, I was like, all right, fine. You know, for a weekend, I get it. You know, represent, you know, the mm-hmm. city, honor what, ha- like, you know, the people, right. whatever. Then I was, they started seeing how they were playing. And I was like, okay, you know, if they can start rallying with these, I don't care what they wear. We got to get hot now. Yes. Now. You want to make a playoff run? This is the time you got to start figuring it out. And if it takes wearing yellow jerseys that I hated in May, wear them. Because if it can get you ready for that one game and then ready for a series potentially get the ra- against the Rays, you got to do whatever works. And um, when you look at the Red Sox right now, they were a team I was very worried about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, They were dealing with constant COVID-19 cases, and their line- lineup was inconsistent, and their defense was inconsistent. And Alex Cora woke up every morning not, morning not knowing who was going to be testing positive and not testing positive and who was going to be on the field and who not going to be on the field. And what is line rotation and bullpen and whatever was looking at a daily basis. Now they're coming back. They're finding a lineup that works. Um, I mentioned this before to a couple buddies off the air on MLB when I constantly talk about the Boston Red Sox. When they called up Jaron Duran, yes, it was awesome, but they started to not look and play the same. The defense just wasn't playing much better. The defense wasn't been perfect, hasn't been perfect. But I do think with Kike Hernandez playing full-time in this in center field, it just sets the defense. The team plays much better, way more confident there on the defensive side. Yes, they have improved really all over the place on defense. Yes, they've had a few major errors. Who hasn't in Major League Baseball? But I'm way more confident in this team today than I was a couple weeks ago. Uh, their bullpen's getting much healthier. Yes, Matt Barnes has looked a little wild upon his return i do think adam Ottavino is a little overused and those two do make me a little bit nervous but hansel robus has really figured it out hasn't given up a, a run i think his last eight appearances same with josh taylor darwin's and hernandez who again didn't look perfect yesterday against the new york mets but a lot of these depth pitchers the red sox are going to need here in the postseason have looked a lot better now Hopefully Garrett Whitlock can come back. We know Alex Gore is a guy who's not afraid to use a starter in a relief role or kind of you know, throw someone in a position they're uncomfortable with. We've seen him in those situations, and hopefully he can find those matchups that work down the road. But uh, I was very nervous about the Red Sox three weeks ago. Today, I think this is a team that can possibly make a sneaky run here because they're starting to play together at a very key time here, and and hopefully this New York series can help move them and uh, carry their momentum into a potential postseason run. And you know who I think the Red Sox reaching stretch is accredited to? I think that's a credit to Alex Cora. I think given the way he's dealt with the Red Sox, like not knowing who's going to be in, and now they're on a they're on a six game winning streak that could potentially reach seven at by the end of the night. We know that he's good at managing pitching and like knows when to like take let guys take a rest and he know he one thing one positive thing I've noticed about Alex Cora he never really feels the pressure of dealing with the Boston media and I think probably a good reason for that maybe because he was a player himself but I just as much as I can shame Alex Cora all I want for what he may have done with his role with like Houston I I think he's a, r- a really good manager who just knows how to get through to his players yeah, and I mean, this team really responds to him. We, we saw his name included in a lot of reasons why they made a lot of these moves. I mean, um, you know, Marwin Gonzalez, I know he's not on the team anymore, but he used to play for Alex Cora, Kike Hernandez. 
was familiar with Alex Cora. There was a lot of pieces he had to do with building this roster. And, you know, he knew these guys. He was comfortable with Heim Bloom, comfortable with the city of Boston, knew the ownership. It was just a role that he was able to thrive in. And you can't really say that a lot about most positions in the city of Boston. You know, Boston's not an easy place to, to work in. You know, you're dealing with fans who are overpassionate. You're dealing with the media that's like New York will take a little clip of an interview and run a million different miles with it. And at yes. times playing in this city is not easy when you're losing, how you handle yourself, how your, you know, your body language, things like that. Cora came here. Like I know how to handle all this. He had that yeah. experience and it's helped him significantly. So not many people can handle the pressure he has had to deal with, you know, dealing with the media criticism he's had to deal with and then come back and thrive in his first season back with Boston. It's been beyond impressive with what he's been able to do. I wish he, I could say he'd win manager of the year. I just don't think it would happen because I just don't simply think Major League Baseball would give him that award. But um, he, he's been spectacular in his first year back. And uh, it, I'm happy to see that he's managing this team. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. If I were in your shoes, I would probably feel the same way. And some interesting bats that have been of wor- worth mentioning in that lineup. Hunter Renfro is a guy that like has come up with a lot of clutch hits. Bobby Dalbeck's been kind of hit or miss, but I see lately he's been having a recent surge now. Yeah, I mean, he he's kind of turned it around since the addition of Kyle Schwarber. Uh, he's someone who really hasn't had a set role on this team, mm-hmm. but Bobby Dalbeck looked at it like, if I struggle, that my position's going to be taken by the man they just added at the deadline, now he does have the ability to come up off the bench. He has postseason experience, won a World Series with the Chicago Cubs, has the ability to play on the, in the infield in both the corner positions in the outfield, so his versatility should be nice down the road. But, yeah, Dalbeck's been great. I mean, his power has been out of control. I mean, he's a guy who's streaky. He strikes out a lot. Um, it's taken him a little bit to get going, really, and I do think the addition of Schwarber has really forced him to pick it up because – you know, at the deadline, it seemed like the Red Sox had pretty much everything they needed offensively. Really, outside of that first base position, I was an advocate to go after someone like Anthony Rizzo. Of course, the Yankees ended up acquiring him before the Red Sox. But um, I've been nothing but impressed with Dalbeck since the trade deadline. He's really needed to step up his game at that first base position. It's exactly what he's done. And of course, he's moved him up a little bit in the order. He's been not been afraid to put him in a little more leverage positions. When the game I went to, he was hitting sixth. Normally he hits about seventh or eighth, so um, we'd love to see Cora giving his his the young kid a little bit more opportunities. But uh, he needed this this stretch here because Red Sox fans were getting a little bit concerned, and uh, he saved his role there as the starting first baseman. We'll see how uh, Cora positions the rest of the team for the rest of this uh, season. And I'll tell you another thing that's helped you down the stretch too is your pitching. I mean, we all knew that Chris Sale his return was imminent at any moment. For them that season but it also helps that you have Nathan Uvalde who's been absolutely pitching like lights out over the course of the second half of the season I mean I think very well if you if you look at the Red Sox for most of the season I think he's definitely been your legitimate ace this year yeah and I mean if you were to ask me who I'd start game one of that wild card series I'd tell you I think they should start Nathan Uvalde I mean the crazy thing about it is Chris Sale yeah Chris Sale's a stud no one's saying yeah. he isn't but I went to the Orioles game and they were hitting some loud outs. Like they were making some contact against Chris sale. 
Now, it's the Orioles. They're a team that doesn't really hit with a game plan, pitch with a game plan. They're kind of just praying the season ends tomorrow so they can go golfing faster. But <laughs> the way I look at that is, you know, what if you replace, you know, Austin Hayes with Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? You replace, right. you know, Cedric Mullins with uh, George Springer. Like, go down the order, whatever you want to do. Those loud outs, those hard contact at-bats with a team that has a little bit more of a game plan when they come up to bat, those are going to turn into hits. Those are going to turn into home runs. And when I was watching that game, I was like, man, if this is what we're going to potentially get from him, now you can't predict every start. Right. I'm not fully sold that I want these guys swinging against him in a game where it's, you know, one game or you're out. Mm-hmm. So I've been nothing but impressed with Nathan Eovaldi. I wasn't a huge fan of the contract when he signed it three years ago. I think the Red Sox overpaid, but right now it's looking like they underpaid him because $16 million for the production we've gotten from him this year is a flat-out steal. I think Eovaldi's been a stud. I think he's going to continue being a stud. The way he pitches just, it looks like he's almost getting better. And, and I you think have to have also... someone in this rotation carry this team on their back, I don't think it's Chris Seal right now. I think it's Eobaldi. You kind of took what I was about to say right out of my mouth. I mean, when I look back at your run in the 2018 season, which was a dominant run, by the way, it you don't. I don't think you win that World Series without Nathan Eobaldi. No, in way. all honesty, like I mean, Chris Seal I mean, was great. Don't get me wrong, Chris Seal was great, but. Nathan Uvalde had that start in game three, another game which I had the unfortunate pleasure of being at at Yankee Stadium, the 16-1 to game. But then you go further, he has that big start against the Astros in the ALCS, and then you get to the World Series. The bullpen was looking taxed, and now granted it was a losing effort, but what, he pitched like five or six relief innings in game three when Max Muncy hit the home run? And then when he comes back into the dugout, even though the Red Sox lost that game, they were cheering and giving him like a standing ovation because they knew at the end of the day, they were a better team than the LA Dodgers. And unfortunately I knew that too, but with, and that I think they know without that effort, they don't win that world series. Yeah. I mean, that was the reason he got that four year contract after they won the world series because of how dominant he was. And he was used in roles. He was comfortable in roles. He was uncomfortable in. It was very successful. And that was one of the main reasons why I mentioned that about Alex Cora is, you know, in certain in-game situations, he's not afraid to, you know, go out of the box for his matchups. And in that World Series situation, he had someone who he wanted to use as a starter, but they needed someone to eat innings, go into extra innings, keep them alive in the game. And instead of going piece by piece by piece with this bullpen and possibly risking losing three or four arms for the remainder of this series... He used one of his starters, if not one of his best starters. Yeah, I think David Price deserves that award for what he did in that sure. World Series. But he went he went out of the box, put him in that situation, was successful. Now, that's not going to work every single time. I'm not advocating for Cora to do a bunch of crazy crap during the playoffs. I do think you do need to fit your roles. And I do think this rotation's not as strong as when you had David Price and a healthier Chris Sale and... I mean, you still have Eovaldi now. I do think the depth Mm -hmm. in this rotation, who's going to be that number three, is still a major question. But I trust that if Alex Cora is in a situation, he's going to figure out how to do it. Now, do I love these arms? No. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't fully trust Matt Barnes in the ninth inning. I think Adam Ottavino has done a great job in some leverage situations with this team. I wish Heimblum did a li- was a little bit more aggressive, adding some more deadline arms here at the at, at the trade deadline. But Cora knows how to work with this team, and they're getting hot at a really, really, really good time. So let's go over the pitching matchups this weekend. Friday, you got a great one in Cole and Yavaldi. That's the one I'm probably looking forward to the most because. This is the type of game that we signed that we like paid Cole the big money for. I think it's not a stretch if I say that this is the biggest game he's pitching all year. And and it's safe to say this is a game the Yankees could ill afford to lose. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the Yankees can lose another game this year, especially when you go, what is it, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Rays? Yeah. Is that how you end the year? You got it right. I don't, you have no room for error. No. I mean, no. let alone when you pay Garrett Cole that much money, you can't lose a start over a nine year stretch. And, you know, it's funny. I want to, I want to mention something about that. So I was at an event on, on like Sunday. I had to, I had to work something like for my summer job. Like there was a little town fair, like I was working with them. On the way home, I'm listening to the game and I'm hearing John Sterling as Garrett Cole gets removed from the game. He goes, oh, how could you fans boo Garrett Cole? He's been carrying the team all year. Like him and Susan Waldman were like crowing about that. I'm like, shut up. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Sterling and Waldman for as goofy as they are. Like, they're always a fun listen for me as I'm driving. But like, I'm sorry. I don't blame our fan base for booing Garrett Cole at that time. They know as well as we do. You're paying that guy $300 over the course of like, what, eight or nine years and you could ill afford to have him lose a game, especially to a mediocre Cleveland Indian squad. I'm sorry. I just had to get that yeah, ran out. I mean, out if there. you're John, I mean, you got to know <laughs> your surround. Like, I'm not saying that he doesn't know it. No, he he's does. He's talking about the same fan base that booed Gene Carlos Stanton on his <laughs> debut. No. So I, think it's, I mean, if, okay. So if you're, well, pretend me and you are, are Susan and, and, uh, I'm John. If you're hearing fifty thousand people booing, and you're start like you're not just gonna sit there and let Yankees radio broadcast just be booze for your three hundred million dollars starter. You gotta find something to fill the time with. Like, what yeah, are no. you gonna say? No, oh, I know. Yeah. It's Boo! Just... Boo! Get off the field! Like, what? What's he gonna do? <laughs> No, I would have probably Agree said, oh, and they're booing Garrett Cole. But, like, for him to go... Uh, well, he doesn't need to say it. They all can but hear for it. him to go shame on you, I'm like, I think that was a little over. Well, that's just dumb. I mean, he that should was, know... That was where I was going. He's that. a smart guy. He's been in broadcasting for years. He knows yeah. what he's working with, but... And like I, mean, I said, I love the guy. You gotta be so careful when you talk nowadays. Yeah. It's just like... And players know when you say stuff about them. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's New York. I mean, I wouldn't have said that. Again, I'm never going to be the voice of the Yankees, so I'm not going to pretend I'm going to be in that situation. But, yeah, John could have handled that a little bit better. Now, game two, here's the game I actually think the Yankees will win. And this is totally based on the pitching matchups, by the way. So, I would not be surprised if I'm completely wrong. Nestor Cortez against Nick Pavetta. You look at the Yankees pitching over the second half, I think Nestor Cortez actually has been been bad. He's I think been, this is Pavetta's 
second start. Yeah. Since returning from COVID. Yeah. Which means you might not pitch five, six innings. No, I would imagine they're. But probably I don't think Cortez will either. That won't be a bullpen. Give me a little farther. Or, I think he'll, they'll no. try and get a five innings. They'll try and get a five innings regardless. No, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. I wouldn't say like bullpen as in you're going to start, you're going to open him in inning two. I'm talking about more like you're going to have him get through like maybe three or four and see where it goes afterwards and play it by ear. Yeah. This weekend is going to be a massive test for the guys that I mentioned earlier on the show mm-hmm. who are those middle, I mean, non, I don't want to say non leverage because I don't want to make it seem like certain situations aren't important, but for those like six, seventh, maybe eighth inning relief pitchers, you're, Josh Taylor, Garrett Richards, who's now a bullpen piece, Hansel Robles, who I would love to see secure an eighth inning role mm-hmm. because I don't fully trust Matt Barnes in the ninth right now. Again, that can change over two weeks, but show me and then I'll believe it. Um, Darwin's in Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Austin, I think they call him Big Fudge now. I don't know why, but Austin, Big Fudge Davis. Guys who've gone four, five, six, some even eight outings recently without giving up a hit. If you can face this Yankees team this weekend in games you need to win to remain alive in the wild card, this is a huge test for those guys. Alex Cora is sitting here right now. Okay, Josh Taylor, can I trust that when we're up one hypothetically against the Yankees or the Blue Jays in a win or go home game, that you're going to get me a clean inning and get out of it. You're playing the Yankees. You're on national TV. You're playing a team that needs these wins just as much as you do to remain alive. Yep. I'm telling you this right now. The Red Sox don't want to go to Toronto. No, the Yankees. Don't want to go to Toronto. Now, it does help for the Red Sox that the Yankees and the Jays play each other. Right. You guys kind of beat each other up, split a series, whatever. It can kind of keep you guys down in the second spot as they go and sweep a team like the Orioles or possibly the Nationals. Kind Kind of work the schedule advantage. It does help the Red Sox favor. That's why I do believe the Red Sox will be the number two team in the wild card. Thank God. Right. Our number one team in the wild card and host either the Red Sox or, or not, I can't even talk right now. The Yankees or the Blue Jays. It's okay. I've had those moments. But if you're Alex Cora, you're not finding out who your leverage pitcher is against the Nationals. Right. You're not finding who's going to strike out Aaron Judge or if we're playing Toronto, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the eighth inning with two men on. You're not finding that out against Austin Hayes. No offense to him. I mean, you'll know you'll learn something against Soto. Mm-hmm. But you're not finding that out against God. Who's even on the Nationals right now? I the only pitcher. I was on just the... about to say a second baseman who was in a little bit of trouble. Thank God I didn't. But who... the only pitcher who I can even think of on the Nationals right now is Josiah Gray, and that's only because he pitched for New Rochelle High School. 
which is not too, which is like yeah, not too yeah. far from where I live. So that's that's why I even know who Josiah Gray. Is. I think they. I mean, I know the Nationals are irrelevant, but I think they demoted Robles. Victor Robles. Yeah, I think they. Like, oh, I, that guy. Um, yeah, I'm trying no. to. I'm, I don't know why this is bothering me so much. Who the hell is on that team? No, it's it's Bell, weird. Josh Bell. It's Carter Kivu. I don't even know. That's why I'm saying, like, I can't believe I picked that team learn, to be a factor. If you want to know who's getting you that out, you are finding that out this weekend, right? Yeah, no, it's it's big for both of them, and I would probably argue the same about the Yankees because now they have more options coming out of that bullpen. I mentioned Luis Severino's coming back. I don't think he's going to be starting at all for the remainder of the season, but how he does in the bullpen remains to be seen. Michael King has been pretty effective in long relief. Maybe he ends up getting a high leverage situation. And what if by some miracle we get back Jonathan Weisiger? So Yankees are kind of in that same situation. Underrated loss. Are you kidding? That was a killer. This is why I say underrated. Because I agree with you. Yeah. Whenever you talk about the Yankees bullpen from a non-inside New York and people like me who pay attention to the Yankees, Mm -hmm. if you were to tell me the Yankees' key bullpen names, you wouldn't mention him. You would if you watched them. But you'd be like, oh, Britain. Uh, Chapman. Chad Green. Like, Like, there's way more recognizable names in your bullpen. Yeah. So, like, if you were to tell, like, someone in in Kansas City that Jonathan Loisaga was down, someone that doesn't pay attention, they'd be like, oh, okay, you know, they'll, they'll be okay. But for, like, that sucked. Yeah, no. Like, that dude I mean, was a stud in your bullpen. He had a David Rock, he had a Houdini-like moment against you guys in that series where he swept you, where you had the bases loaded, no outs, and he didn't even give, give up a single run. That that's what David Robertson used to do back in the day. Okay. He was good. He's good. I, he's a guy I've kind of been av- advocating to be closer to. And I remember, and I remember thinking, just be careful with him. Let's just, you don't want him to be injured because if you look at everybody else in the bullpen, I think the lack of hitting is probably going hand in hand to the reason why the Yankees have had so many like bullpen meltdowns this year. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Stemming, I mean, I don't think you guys are fully confident in your closer. You haven't had Britain for the full season. Like we mentioned before, Loisaga went down. Um, Chad Green's frequently involved in a decision, which doesn't exactly mean. 15 home runs, remember that. 15 home runs. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm missing someone. They've also lost eight games when when we were ninth. It doesn't help. If you aren't set, if you don't, if you're not sold on who your ninth inning guy is, it always makes things more difficult. And I feel like the Yankees have just had issue after issue after issue after issue there on the back end. And I hate to say this, but if you if you're going to go into a playoffs, but not wanting to think, trying to think that you can go without having to rely on Chapman being the closer, you got another thing coming for you. So there you go. Yeah. And by the way, the third game we've got Jordan Montgomery against. Eduardo Rodriguez. Is that the Sunday night game? Yes, the horrid ESPN telecasts. I, I don't. Again, I'm just glad I'm going to be at Fenway, so I won't have to listen to whoever's like broadcasting that game. But why are they doing? 
Red. I mean, I get why they're doing Red Sox Yankees, but they're not going to get any viewers if if Sunday Night Football is on. Well, they're doing it because it's the two biggest market teams like, I know, but like playing right now and, and because of the playoff spot. I but no one's going to watch that game. Unless you you're know. like us. Um, oh, yes. Well, unless you're like us who are like the absolute hardcore fans or yeah, yeah. if you do what I do, which oh. is I'll have, I'll have one game on my laptop screen and then I'll have like the football game on the big screen. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah, no, the, I think that's the game I think that can go either – to sum it all up, Friday is the one I'm least confident in, despite Garrett Cole pitching. Because, and it's it's not because of Garrett Cole; it's more because of Nathan Uvalde. I've gone on a spiel before about how I actually thought he was a decent pitcher with the Yankees, and then them letting him go came back to haunt them in a way worse than I even imagined. And then Saturday is the game I feel better about, just because Nestor Cortez has been he he's he might have been the best starter in the second half of the season. I don't even think that's a stretch to say. And then, Jer- and while Montgomery's been okay, like the other problem with Montgomery is you don't know when he's going to get a whole day where where he'll have good run support. So that's really that's really fifty fifty as far as I'm concerned. All I have to say about Sunday is Eduardo Rodriguez is pitching for his spot in the playoff rotation. Yes, that's a that's a very good point because he wasn't. A f- I think our first discussion, you were like very surprised he even won a game because his ERA was like well over six. No, oh, I don't want. Uh, I am not confident in him at all in the playoffs. Right, because I have. I mean, you can't say like, "Oh, I know this guy's going to get me six innings with eight strikeouts and no earned runs." I mean, you can't predict a start. But I legitimately have absolutely no idea what version of him we're getting on a game by game basis. Which could be amazing. We could put you out there in a game three situation on the road. Boom. Actually, he'd be at home if it's a game three. But actually, no, he'd be pitching game two because you have you have someone pitching the wild card game. So when you look at the Red Sox right now, if Evaldi starts that game one, you start a new series in Tampa Bay, you'd like to think that starts going to Chris Sale. If yeah. Nathan Evaldi not even if Eduardo Rodriguez struggles against the Yankees. I don't want him pitching in that game three against the Rays game two against the Rays in Tampa Bay. You know what Joe Torre used to say a lot. Game two is often one of the more critical games of a series. And that's why you would often see him putting Andy Pettit in that rotation in years past. So but yeah, I think that's a very your, fair point. Cause I mean, yes, hypothetically, Tanner Houck, even though I think Houck is the perfect um, long relief pitcher. Right. Especially if you don't have a Garrett Whitlock. Because he does give you some innings if you need him to. But Garrett Richards is already out. He's getting right. innings in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if Pavetta gives us something. But I'm not sitting here like, oh, Pavetta night, boys. Here we go. Because uh, he's going to be going – because the Ray, I mean, the Rays pitching, it doesn't even matter who they put in. They're, you, you know, they're going to have a game plan on how to get through the game. Oh, you know it. But that game, too, makes me extremely nervous if they're even the team that makes it that far in the playoffs. But he is pitching for his job right now. Not overall in baseball, but his job in that rotation in the playoffs. Yeah. 
Yeah. By the way, before, so that was obviously a very fun discussion that we had about the series. I really can't wait for it. Before we start to sign off and I do, we do our normal like closing spiels where we plug ourselves. I do want to give a little score update. If I may three to one Boston right now, bottom of the second against the Mets. And unfortunately for yours truly, it is now one, nothing Texas in the third inning. And am I, I'm not even surprised Yankee Yankees have do, have done this a lot. Have you seen their record with chances to sweep? It's, it's not very good. I think, I think they've, they're like, that's a bad I think they're like eight and and 18 in game threes where they have a chance to sweep. That's another thing that nobody's going to talk about. That see, there's a lot of stats in baseball that really don't tell you that much, but that's a big stat because you got to end a series. Okay. Make that at least four to one Boston. I see Kyle in play runs for Kyle Schwarber. Nice. Cause I'm looking at game day. There you go. Yeah, I don't have the game on in front of me. <laughs> but yeah, no, that that's very concerning. But anyways, before I let you go, as I always do, Walt, please do me a favor and plug yourself. So again, I'm Alec Walt, host of the Alec Walt Show on Down the Block Sports. We are on YouTube only, so you can check us out on Down the Block Sports, our YouTube channel. Feel free to give us a subscribe. We have some great guests coming on the channel very soon. Kyle Russo, who also does broadcasts here on Review and Preview Sports, is joining me on a podcast to talk about Ben Simmons and his future with the Philadelphia. Oh, he doesn't have a future, it's looking like, with the Philadelphia mm-hmm. 76ers. Where could he end up before the start of the 2021 NBA season? We'll talk about that on a show we're going to record just a little bit. Donald Hill from the Three Man Weave podcast diehard Cowboys fan. Uh, he's going to join me on a show to talk about the Cowboys. It's Ezekiel Elliott, the true number one. Should Tony Pollard get more reps at running back? Is Trayvon Diggs the most underrated cornerback in the league? We got a lot of questions to talk about with the Dallas Cowboys. So I know you're not exactly a huge fan of that team with that big number five, six with over your a shoulder there. But um, yes, you know, we got a lot to talk about. It's going to be exciting. It is, it is uh, Patriots Saints week. Um, Connor Robinson the uh, and Michael Balco, who also helped me out on Down the Block Sports, host a Saint show called the Houdat Chat. So we're going to do a kind of a collaboration with the Alec Walt Show and the Houdat Chat as we preview uh, the Saints and the Patriots. So, and don't forget what's happening two weeks from now, man. Tom Brady makes his return to New England, likely going to pay, break the passing record at his old old stomping grounds so uh, there's a lot of exciting content coming to down the block sports very 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 soon so you're going to want to check it out subscribe to my channel down the block sports on youtube that's where you can get all my exclusive content very nice so those are all great guests to have i i know from uh reading preview you're going to have great discussions with kyle so he knows his basketball and donald hill I've, i've checked a little bit of um a little bit of the three men we've out. We actually on Big Blue Avenue, we had Cannon last week to preview the game against nice. the the Washington football team. You can check that out in our in the Big Blue Avenue archives. And we've got uh, another episode of Big Blue Avenue coming out tomorrow at 7 p.m. I'm very excited to be previewing the Giants Falcons with Tom and Sam as usual. And of course, I believe we have Noah Diebler of the Sports Box. I'm looking forward to hearing nice. his takes about the Atlanta Falcons. So 
that should be a lot of fun. Really looking to forward to seeing more of the stuff you're going to put on your channel and more football discussions. It's, it's already an interesting season as we're talking about, but with that being said, now it's my turn to plug this show. Don't forget, of course, to give us a follow on all of our forms of social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. I want to thank you again, Alec Walt, for taking the time to talk some uh, Yankees Red Sox. And of course, as always, you have watched another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. Until next Wednesday, I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and we will see you later.